All right, y'all. I'm really excited today because although all the pastors are my favorite, there is one in particular who is like my favorite favorite. I call him my boo. In Cuba, they call him Mauricio. He speak a little Spanish too, you know what I'm saying? So y'all, my boo is preaching today. I am so excited, boo. <laughs> and I just have to share with you all that I have never seen Maurice labor and pray and study over a word like the one he's going to give today. So y'all, I am hyped. I am turned up right now for Jesus, for my man's word. And um, forgive me, y'all, I got a lot of energy today. Let me, let me bring it on down. So we're going to watch a video, but before I do, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for bringing us all here together. I pray, God, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that our ears are open, our hearts are open to receive what you have for us today, God. Help us to lean in. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. In this difficult day, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. But more importantly, to say a prayer for our own country, which all of us love. You can be filled with bitterness and with hatred and greater polarization. Or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand compassion and love. Good morning, Ascent friends and family. So good to see you. Uh, looks like I already, go ahead and clap. I'll take a clap. Looks like I already had an introduction for my amazing, beautiful, thoughtful wife. Um, I'm so excited. Um, in our culture, we say boo, so that is my boo. That's my boo. Um, she is right. I was been excited about this word, and she is so excited this morning because I woke up and I, I had the shirt that I had on right now, but I kind of pulled it out from under like a stack or something. It was like, oh, this will do. And she was like, that's wrinkled. Let me iron that. And I was like, okay. And so that doesn't always happen, but she was like, you can't go up in front representing us and not, you know, have your shirt together. So kudos to my wife this morning. Um, there is so much to talk about, so I have to really just jump into today's message. Uh, we've been in a series called, um, did I, my name is Maurice. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I already said that. Okay. Um, I also work with the young adult ministry as well. And so we got some things coming up. Young adults, email me. Um, but we've been in a series called 2020, Finding God in a Blurry World. And with this series, it has been so impactful to me because our desire in this has been to tackle some subjects and some topics that is very relevant to people when they leave these doors. And so last week, Bill talked about some living out loud and living in a bold way of love and loving others and going beyond our comfort zones. And it was such an amazing message. You got to go back and look at that. But what I love most about this is that Ascent has committed to talking about real topics. 
to talking about topics that actually when we leave here, it's relevant in culture and it's a hot topic in culture. And so let's bring it on stage. And it's not just valuable to us to talk about. We truly see it being of value to God. And so more than just what we are talking about here, we believe that God has something to say into the plight and lives of many of us that are in this room. And I'm excited to talk about that. So this morning, I am tasked with the opportunity to talk about race and racism and what our role is in this. In these topics that are coming up, I want you to think about that. Whatever the topic is, I want you to think about what is our role, whether individually or corporately, what role do we play in this? And before I jump into this topic of race and racism, I have to be very clear. It means so much to minority communities when a white pastor stands up in a predominantly white church and talks about hard topics like race and racism. And this morning, I wanna let you know and to take away any misconception, I am so blessed to serve leaders. As we looked at our calendar, we had already mapped out the topics. We sat down, we thought about who was gonna divvy up and what was gonna take place, and they jumped at the opportunity to get up and to speak about this. I thought it was really important to make it very clear that what we did not do is make this Black Sunday and throw up Maurice because it's MLK weekend and I'm a black guy. And my wife, too. <laughs> because our t our, what I love is that our pastors are not shy or they're not running away from hard topics. And I say that because I'm proud. And the, as they were thinking about it, they were saying, Maurice, listen, we will jump at this and run with it if you don't. But we value your voice in this conversation. So if you want to go into this, please, by all means, jump and go after this topic. And I say that because that's not happening everywhere. I say that because I have friends that are working at churches that are predominantly white and they are a minority, and it is tokenism. It is, we'll shy away from that, you go ahead and talk about that because that affects your people. But I'm a part of a church and a leadership that that's not what the case is. And so this morning, as I am going in this direction of talking about race and racism, I would be a fool to think that this is not something that is impactful to everyone. And also, it can be triggering for some people. I understand all of that. So before I jump into that, I do want to make a few housekeeping things. I want to make, go over a few things. I got four things, and I'm gonna say this pretty quickly because I got a lot to say. And black preachers already get a stereotype of going too long. And I don't want to do that today, okay? <laughs> so, here we go. First and foremost, I'm gonna say a lot of things today, and I think today is gonna really be important um, and impactful. Just one of those Sundays, not like any other Sunday is not, but I encourage you to take notes, so have your notes app ready. Number two, I do not speak on behalf of all black people. This is one of those moments that I think that is impactful and um, honest to my experience and to what I believe as I preach the word uh, biblically, but also it's not gonna be everybody's, but I do believe it overlaps with many people who are uh, black and minority in this world. Um, number three, a lot of times in this conversation, the conversation can get hijacked by making it black and white. And I would be a fool to step into this conversation knowing that there are so many different races and ethnicities that come to our church, from Asian to Latino to all sorts of races. And I just wanna, as I step into this, make sure I acknowledge you in this and I'm speaking from my lens and my perspective 
And so there's going to be some things that are black and white, but I want to make sure that you know the conversation goes far beyond that. And your voice and your contribution matters in this conversation. Number four, last and final one, as I am on this road of racial reconciliation and doing the work myself, don't have it all together. I don't stand before you as some guru just because I'm black, but I'm trying to do the work. I'm trying to figure some things out myself. And I just felt oppressed upon my heart to acknowledge in this conversation, I think also a community of people that get pushed to the boundaries is that of indigenous people of this land. And so as I enter into this conversation of race and racism, I just want to acknowledge and honor that community. As I do my research, we are sitting and standing on land that once was occupied by an Arapaho tribe. And so as I go into this moment, I just believe that it matters, and I just want to acknowledge and honor that community. All right? Going into race, this brushes up against many people's ideologies. This brushes up against many people's politics. This brushes up against many people the way that you were raised. And I'm going to say some things that possibly may step on your toes. But let me be very clear about something. I say this all the time. Offense is a part of the process. And so many times I think we don't move because we are afraid to offend. And I get our heart in the matter, but at the same time, if we don't move, nothing happens. And so there's going to be some things that probably you want to rebuttal up against. There's probably going to be some things that you don't like that I'm saying. I'm not saying I have it all together, trying to figure it out myself. But as we go into this, I think it's very clear and make it really clear to everyone that as we go into a subject like this, there may be some things that is, brings about tension. What I love is that this conversation is not just a real topic, but it brings real controversy and uncomfortability. But let's go down that road together. Because if we don't, who will? I think it's very important for us to go and know that there may be some challenges in the midst of that, but sticking that with us. So this morning, as we are going down the road of race and racism, I would be a fool to not think that there's going to be some landmines that I don't step over. So I've adopted what my friends call the Ikea tradition or the Ikea pledge. I don't know where they got it from, but I'm taking it from them this morning. I have a group of friends that they are a married couple. They go to Ikea. Uh, you ever been to the store? You go and it's a whole adventure park within itself, but they go. They get a dresser or a table. They bring it back home. They're not DIY type of people. So they lay out all the pieces and categorize everything, make sure it's all laid out. And then they go over this pledge. They stare at each other in their eyes and they say, I love you. I will believe the best about you. I won't get mad at you. We can do this together. On the topic of race this morning, I love you. I will believe the best about you. I won't get mad at you. We can do this together. Amen. The same way that a couple is bickering about Ikea stuff and going on and this and this and that, and you soon realize we're arguing and we have the same mission and we want the same thing. And I think at the core of every single one of us, we want the same thing and we are on this mission together. So as we travel down this, the way that I want to frame this conversation this morning so I want us to go down a journey this morning of moving from apathy to compassion. 
moving from apathy, which says, because it doesn't directly affect me, I am therefore disinterested, to compassion, which says, because I see you and I value who you are, therefore, I will show up in creative and costly ways. This is the life that I believe Jesus is ushering us all into. And what do we do on this road of apathy to compassion? Because if we be honest, I think all of us have a bend towards apathy. This morning, the way that I want to go about this conversation, I believe that no one steps into this conversation with no history. I wanna invite you into my story this morning. And in my story, before I do that, I'm gonna get vulnerable for a few seconds and I think it's gonna be impactful to listen to one another. The lost art of listening just to listen, not to respond, not to agree or disagree, but listen. And to the best of my abilities, I pray that you step into my shoes and wear my lens of the way I was brought up and the way I see the world just for a few moments. And the way that I want to go about this is I want to frame this conversation with two questions. The first question is, when was the very first time that you were made aware or consciously thought about the color of your skin. My second question, which I think is the greater question, when was the last time you were thought about the color of your skin? As I bring you into my world as a black man who lives in Boulder County, Every single day is my answer. The places I eat, the gyms that I work at, work out at, if I'm taking my wife out to dinner or going to a movie, the place that I work, this is my home church in the place that I worship, and that's another one the rooms that I step into, the circles that I move into every single day. And I usher you into my story, not to say a woe is me, this is my reality, but just for a moment, if you would just sit in those shoes. I remember going to my grandma's house when I was younger It's my dad's mom. We call her Grandma Judy. She's a tall, light-skinned complexion, high-cheekbones woman. She's from Des Moines, Iowa. I love going to Granny Judy's house. It was my second home. It's where I always went, me and my cousins. Granny Judy, when she got older, she started to kind of have this walk that she had about her, and she kind of like walked like this. This is Granny Judy's walk right here my granny Judy and because of this walk that she had when we started getting in high school and she would kind of sway back and forth with her hips 
If you know anything about me and my family, we always come up with nicknames for each other. So we soon start to call her Judy with the big booty. <laughs> so this was Grandma Judy booty because she would walk the way that she walked. We have fun in my family. That's just one of our names. Remember going to her house one time and her sisters were in town. She began to talk about all the things going down memory lane and we, they were in the living room one time and they're talking about all the things that they used to do and who had whose boyfriend and all this sort of things and having a good time, laughing it up. I'm on a, one of the kids, I'm sitting on the stairs and I'm kind of listening in to the story. You know how kids want to be a part of the adult conversation and we're sitting on the stairs while they're in the living room and they're having a great conversation, cracking up, having a good time. My grandma says these words right here. Now, you guys remember that one time we was at the pool? All her sisters in a resounding, oh yeah, honey, I know exactly what you're talking about. I listen in even more as I'm sitting on the stairs and me and my cousins, we're just trying to be quiet. She proceeds to tell the story. My grandma and her sisters, they were sitting outside of the pool. They were standing on the side of the pool waiting to get in because they were synchronized swimmers. Black people can't swim. You can laugh. I see some of you like, ah, is it racist if I laugh? We're good. Ikea pledge. Don't worry. My grandma was talking about, she was standing on the side of the pool and they're waiting to get in. They were synchronized swimmers. They're waiting to go into their routine. So at this moment, the white woman gets out of the pool, her and her team. And this white woman looks at my grandma in the eyes and she starts to stare her up and down. My grandma's like, what's the problem? What's going on? Is there an issue? What's happening? The woman says no words and has this inquisitive look on her face. And at that moment, she approaches my grandma. My grandma's like, what's the problem? Is there, what, what's going on? Woman, no words, continues to uh, advance towards my grandmother and kind of does one of these numbers of kind of look, trying to look around my grandma. My grandma's sitting here like, what are you doing? As she's trying to peek around her. My grandma said, with a straight face, this woman looked at her in her eyes and said, you guys come from monkeys. I was trying to see what your tail looked like. I remember one time driving in the car with my father. As I'm sitting there driving in the car with my father, I'm in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat. My siblings are in, back, are in the back seat. It's a regular California day. We're going to a grocery store called Stater Brothers. I remember like yesterday. We're driving down the road, and as we drive down the road, uh, it's just been another good day, and uh, I'm probably sure my dad's playing some old school music. And as we're driving down the road, it's one of those days, and my dad kind of swerves a little bit. I'm like, whoa. He looks over, and this car pulls up to the side of us. This man rolls down his window. I'm in the passenger seat. I look at this man. I'll never forget his face. He has a, a, a mustache. He had this strong look on his face. And he looks, he has his hand on the wheel, and he leans over and said, you niggas better get out of my way. I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at this man. I feel his words hit me. I look at my dad. My dad responds. He says, hey, man, I got kids in the car. I'm sitting here in the passenger seat as I look for my dad to look at the response of the man. Man sitting here, mean look on his face, I'll never forget it, leans over again as we're at the stoplight. I don't care about your nigga kids, you better move 
or something's going to happen. My dad, sitting in this seat, I look over to him, this man clenching the steering wheel as hard as he can, eyes beginning to well up, chest is beating like nothing else, the tension in the car you can cut with a knife, and as a young boy, feeling these words, and then seeing the pain on my father's face, he's sitting here, and the light turns green, we proceed down the road. As tensions ease just a little bit, I say, Dad, what just happened? What, what, what are you going to do? What's taking place? He leans over and says, all of you, listen. If I respond the way that they want me to respond, or if I respond the way that I want to respond, with me being black and him being white, this doesn't end in our favor. We proceed down the road. It was 2018, we're living right there in Louisville, Colorado. Had an amazing time as we moved out here, had some different transitional things, but me and my wife, it's just us away from family, which can kind of be tough, but also it just brings you together. Brings you into unison and having such a unity. And so we have this time where it's just us. So we're going out all these different places and we're building a bond like no other. One day I get home first and uh, I got home from work before she did. And I call it my day of just, you know, when I get, when I get, whenever I get home before she does, I just throw all the clothes everywhere. I just kick back, put my feet up. I'm like, I know when she comes in, she's gonna start cleaning. And I'm just like, let me just sit. Let me just throw my bag everywhere. Let me just have my day for, or let me just have my moment for a second. Do that, take off my shoes, kick them everywhere. My wife, I can hear the keys as she's turning the door and coming into the door. As we first got here, sometimes we still do it to today, but we get a little goofy and we kind of like run up to the door and do like goofy things of like, like, oh snaps, you're about to come into the house. What's up, babe? And so I'm greeting her, I got a big smile on my face. I don't know what goofy thing I'm gonna do right now, but I remember like yesterday, I got this goofy look. I'm like, okay, I gotta you know, give her a look and make her smile. And as I got a smile on my face, she opens the door and the moment she walks in, she falls in my arms and breaks down crying. Now, this isn't the first time that I've seen my wife cry. This isn't the first time that this has taken place before, but it felt different. It felt like she had been holding in so much and waiting to get to a place that felt safe. Take her to the couch, I'm like, babe, what's wrong? I close the door and we sit there together after about 10 minutes of her just kind of letting it all out. She begins to tell me a story about her day. Being at a local post office, standing there in line, going over what she's about to tell everybody or give people. And she stands there, and a woman seems like she thought that Aisha cut her in line. stares her in the face and say, you nigger B-word. If I didn't respect this stage, I would say it. What are you doing? My wife in this moment wants to break down but has to be strong, not knowing to what way to respond and me listening to this story as her husband. So heartbroken. 
wanting to protect and not being able to. My wife looks around at everybody that's in line and not one person says anything, turns their face and keeps going in line. I bring you into my world this morning, not for pity. I bring you into my world this morning because no one steps into this topic without a history. And I say that and I bring you into my world so that you can give me grace for the next statement that I'm about to say. Because as I do the internal work on myself around topic of race and racism, I stand before you as a recovering racist. I stand before you as a recovering bigot. I stand before you as one who once perpetuated racial prejudice. There's no way that you look at my father in his eyes and dehumanize him in front of his children and that doesn't impress upon my soul to lash out in ungodly ways. You don't call my grandma a monkey and therefore something in me say everyone that looks like the woman that did that doesn't deserve any grace from me. And I stand before you this morning more than a recovering racist, more than a recovering bigot. I stand before you as one, if I'm honest, and if we are all honest, with something that I believe plagues us the most, and that is a recovering apathetic. Apathy the thing that I believe holds us in bondage, apathy, the thing that says, because you're not affected by this, go ahead and walk around it, apathy, that says division is better than unity, apathy. I wrote down some synonyms of what apathy is. It's no concern, detachment, passivity. Apathy that says, because this happens to me, I'm gonna generalize, apathy. Apathy that says lead with anger. Apathy that says stay in your place of frustration and treat everyone the same. Apathy that says blacks go with blacks, Latinos go with Latinos, Asians go with Asians. Let us go into our own silos. Apathy that says let us go into the place that feels comfortable. Apathy that says because you look like, look like me, vote like me, eat the same food as me, I'm gonna stay right here. Apathy. Apathy is the default of every single one of us because apathy is easy. Apathy is easy. Apathy is what told me that just happened to your wife. Go back to California. Everyone's the same. Apathy. Apathy is what Dr. Martin Luther King said, fear, we fear one another. We hate one another because we fear one another. And we fear one another because we don't know one another. And why don't we know one another? Because we don't have relationship with one another. 
the bondage and the stronghold and the sin of apathy is what I believe plagues us the most. Apathy keeps us from moving. Apathy says, because it's not me, I don't have any concern. Apathy says, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll stay right here. Apathy. Apathy says generalize. Apathy says don't go anywhere outside of your norms. Apathy. Apathy holds us back from living the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King talked about. Apathy, when we grow apathetic towards one another, we then start to say, because I'm over here and you are over there, it's us versus them. Apathy says they, them, over there. Apathy says, sure, I'm a Christian, but I'll love you from across the street. Apathy. You can be Christian and apathetic. My encouragement in my heart this morning is that if we do not fiercely combat apathy, we are bound to rewrite history. If we do not challenge what is our default, what, is, what seems easy, if we do not challenge apathy, every church, every voting circle, every place that we go into is going to be, that's them and this is us. This morning, how do we combat apathy on our road from apathy to compassion? How do we combat apathy? How do we keep moving forward? I believe the thing that makes apathy run the opposite direction is awareness. Not just any awareness. Awareness from God. I'm going to show you that quickly in the scripture, but awareness from God. I'm going to make a statement that's pretty bold right now. I'm going to make a statement that seems a little exclusive. But I firmly believe that if we don't have an awareness that comes from the spirit of God, there will be no long lasting change. There is not something that happens down on the inside of us and a transformation, everything will look the same. I'm bold enough to say that because in this area of racial harmony and racial unity, I'm not looking for activists to do that. I'm not relying on the government to do this. I'm not relying on protesters to do this. And in my opinion, do I believe and believe in all three of those things? Yes, but just look at our history. I can't rely on those things. I believe it's nothing but an awareness that comes from God that moves us to compassion and not a, just a compassion that has eyes to see the plight of those who are marginalized, but a compassion that has feet to move. Compassion is something that is active. Compassion is something that is on a move. Compassion doesn't stay still. Compassion runs far from Apathy, compassion, says, therefore, because I see, I decide to show up for you and move in the direction of you. It's what Dr. Brian Stevenson, an author and an activist, says, getting proximate to suffering. And my eyes are opened. 
It's an awareness from God. And if you don't take anything else from this morning, I got to let you know that it is when we see each other clearly that we see God clearly. It is when I see you as the God made in God's image, human being interconnected with one another as my brother and my sister. And I see that in you. It's in that that compassion is moved in every single one of us. Because compassion moves. How do we combat awareness? Well, I think that I'm not the only person that's a recovering apathetic. There's this guy in scripture named Peter. As I get close to his story and I look at Peter's life, he too is a recovering apathetic. Peter's life is one where he is a Jewish person and he actually decides to stay with Jews. He's a follower of Jesus. He commits his life to Jesus. His life is transformed. He actually becomes one of the most vocal people for Jesus. But Jesus dies. Peter continues to live, but Peter only preaches in Jewish temples. Peter only goes into Jewish circles. Peter only works out at Jewish places. Peter stays within the Jewish community and doesn't ever put himself in any other situation. This builds up apathy for Peter. And so he, in this instance, there's a story where this guy named Paul steps into this place that's kind of like a cafeteria and sees Peter laughing, having a great time with Jewish people and then looks at Gentiles and Gentiles over here and Jewish people over here. It's likened to a relationship of blacks and whites in the 30s and in the 40s. And he looks at them and he says, and he looks at Peter and the way that Peter is interacting and he says, Peter, in front of everybody, you are not living the way that God lived. He challenges Peter, and Peter is stubborn in this moment. In this instance, he is challenged with understanding you have become apathetic and have stayed in your own circle. That story ends a few chapters over, Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to just couch this in the, uh, this morning. Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision from God. And God, I'm paraphrasing, essentially tells Peter, the law calls them that name. You don't call them that. Society says they are unclean. You don't call them that. Peter, I am challenging you and your racial bias and what are you doing? You aren't living the way that I told you to live. You aren't living like Jesus and he combats Peter. And in that moment, Peter is pressed to move beyond apathy. And it comes from God. And what he says is go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. In this moment, if you bring it up to modern day, Peter is stepping into this moment as a Jewish man and having to go into a Gentile house, a white man having to go into a black neighborhood. And God says, go, reconcile. Peter takes the drive all the way to this neighborhood, knowing that it's going to cost him something, understanding that his reputation is on the line, his status is on the line. They will no longer look at him the same. His friends are going to walk out on him. But we are all faced with the question, is the gospel, is the good news of Jesus still good news when it cost me something? Peter steps into this house 
And the Bible says right here in verse 27, while talking with him, Peter steps into this place where he becomes the only. The Bible says he went inside and found a large gathering of people. He becomes the minority. There's no one else like Peter in this moment. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate and visit a Gentile. He says, I am stepping across this cultural boundary. I'm going against all that my friends would tell me to do, what my parents told me to do, and I'm stepping into this. And why is he doing this? The next verse lets us know. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter, in this moment, his eyes are opened. Peter, in this moment, recognizes there is no other. Peter, in this moment, has to step in and be the only for a few moments to recognize, I understand and feel how it feels to be in your shoes. No one is asking for agreeance. No one is asking for you to have in this way of just coming and being in some huge support. What they're asking for is what the Bible says, mourning with those that mourn, weeping with those that weep. Ascent, friends and family, this morning, if we don't move from apathy to compassion, our lives look the same. And let me tell you, we can go into this world to love God and go straight to heaven full of apathy. But God would say, you're missing one thing. You loved me, but how can you love me who you don't see, but don't love your brother who you do see? In this moment, as Peter is faced with moving from being apathetic, not only is it awareness that we need to move from apathy to compassion, awareness from God, from God's spirit to take the scales off of our eyes so that we can see the plight of others, so that we can look into their world and their story. Not only is it awareness that combats apathy, but it's oneness that combats apathy. The best way that I can explain oneness is going to be through this short clip. Then I'm going to pray. A lot of people see justice as the most futile thing you can do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question, though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know what they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. 
But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times we fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own. There is one message that we have failed to receive in the West. That is that we are each other's own. This morning, Ascent Church, Ascent Family, Ascent Friends, it is when we have a oneness. It is when we decide to identify as one another. It is when you look at me and see you and I look at you and I see me and there is an inherent connectedness knowing that we are all made in God's image. It is in the moment that we move from apathy because we are aware to compassion and compassion is not just the end goal. Compassion drives us to justice for all. Compassion drives us to justice, not just for the sake of justice because when I look at you, you are connected to me. And it's not just because we desire to do this. We do this because Jesus did this. Jesus leaves dominant culture, sets down his deity to come close to every single one of us, to be marginalized, to come close and say, I identify with you. But he doesn't stay there, it cost him something. And he says, you're worth dying for. There was a question that was once asked to this couple during marital counseling, and he looked at the husband and he said, would you die for your wife? And the husband said, no doubt, I sure would. I'll take a bullet, I'll jump in front of a train, I'll do anything for my wife. And he said, would you live for your wife? And that little change, that little, that little, that little actual little apex there switched the conversation totally because he was trying to get at something. And my conversation, my understanding of what it looks like to be in racial harmony is not just would you lay down your life, but would you live in a way that is others-minded? That people who don't look like you, people who don't vote like you, people who do not listen to the same type of music, are you going to get proximate? the same way Peter did. There's an awareness that I believe only comes from God, but not just awareness that moves us from apathy to compassion, but oneness. It's what Jesus prayed for. It's my heart for every single one of us. It's the dream that Dr. King had, but it's gonna cost us. In this moment of identifying with one another, knowing that we are all made in God's image, Jesus comes close to us and dies for every single one of us. And my encouragement to us is will we live for one another? Not individualistic, but when I see you, I see me and vice versa. Amen.